in Walt Disney's fairy tale, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The dwarfs march off to work each morning, singing the song, Hi-ho, hi-ho, off to work we go. What a job. I dare say none of you have ever sang that song on your way to work. (laughs) If you've ever watched that movie, they work in a diamond mine, which there are these golf ball-sized diamonds in there, and they're already cut, already faceted, and they're just laying around the mine everywhere, and they just got to pick them out. And, man, they're just everywhere. <clears throat> Instead of a diamond mine, most of us trudge off to a less than satisfying job each day. Instead of singing, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off the work we go, we have bumper stickers on our car that say, I-O, I-O, so off the work I go. <laughs> most of us spend somewhere between one-third and one-half of our lives on a job, working. We devote major amounts of time and energy to our jobs. Our, our jobs are, are often major sources of stress and frustration, fear, health problems. Uh, we should be grateful that God included in His Word some practical teaching about work and workers. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to address something here that I, I do not want to overlook. Because there are words in this passage that... Um, should cause us some concern, something to think about, and to ask questions, and people quite often do. And that's the issue of slavery, because you see that word slaves or bond servants, depending on your translation, show up. In the context here, the teaching we see is for slaves and masters. Slaves and masters who are Christians. Don't miss that. This teaching is directed toward believers. It simply teaches how both slaves and masters are to live as believers even in the situation in which they find themselves. Uh, At this point in time in history, uh, when you have the church in its beginnings, it's it's been birthed and it's just getting started in its infancy. During this time, about one-third to half of the population were slaves. However, slavery in the world at that time was not like slavery that you and I think of when we think of our history. Uh, American slavery was primarily racial, and it was lifelong, And it was sinful. Amen? It was sinful. That was not the case during this period. I don't want to say that everybody was perfect and they treated everybody as they should, but during this time period, that was not the type of slavery that was going on when Paul wrote this letter. Now, a question that comes up that's kind of hard for us to ask is, why does the Bible not specifically condemn slavery? Why does it not do that? Um... It gives instructions on how slaves should be treated, but does not condemn slavery. And this causes many to think that the Bible actually approves of slavery or condones it just because it doesn't uh, condemn it. Uh, What many fail to understand is that slavery in biblical times, as I said, was very different from slavery that we practiced in the past few centuries in our country. There was a difference. I think that's one of the reasons that Paul maybe... how we can look at that. Slavery in the Bible was not based exclusively on race like it was in our country. People were not enslaved because of their nationality or because of their skin color. Uh, A lot of reading I did this week, which kind of surprised me, even said that there were lawyers or people who were doctors that bonded themselves into slavery. 
because they'd fallen on financial hard times and that was the only way they could take care of themselves was to work for someone else. Uh, in Bible times, slavery was based on more on economics. It was a matter of social status. People that sold themselves into slavery, as I said, when they couldn't pay their debts so they could provide for their families. And some people actually chose to be slaves, like I said, in order to have their masters take care of them, to keep them uh, surviving in the world. Another crucial point is that the purpose of the Bible is to point the way to salvation and not the reforming of society. The Bible often approaches issues from the inside out. In other words, if a person experiences the mercy and the love and grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ and salvation, God will transform that person's soul, changing the way he thinks and the way he acts. And let me say this. The cure for the ills of our world is the gospel. Now, I'm all about military and going after people who take innocent lives. I'm all about our country doing what it needs to do to protect us. And well, they should. I'm not denying that. I approve of that. But let me tell you, for every person's life we take, whether it's ISIS or in Islam, another one pops up somewhere else. Those people, we need to punish. Don't misunderstand me, but those people need the gospel. The only thing that will change the way of thinking and the way people act is the gospel to transform their lives. Yes, should we go after them and punish them? Sure. But as Christians, we need to be praying for those people to come to Jesus. They need to know and hear the gospel. And so I'll jump off of that and get back to the sermon here. So back to Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 9. Work is a gift from God. Really, it is. I know some of you are going... Our preacher's got vertigo this morning, but he's lost his mind. (laughs) There's something else going on in there. It is a gift from God. The question is, how can you find fulfillment in your daily work? Either paid or unpaid. Uh, Our text shows us that in order for that to be the case, Christians need to see Jesus as the ultimate one for whom they work. That's what this passage is going to tell us. Whatever job you have, the most important thing to remember is that Jesus is your boss. You're going, man, I really wish he was. You don't know my boss. But for a Christian, Jesus is your boss. So the main idea of what we're looking at today is this. The lordship of Jesus, and that's a key word, lordship, which I think is missing in a lot of our lives. Jesus is not only Savior, He's Lord. The lordship of Jesus should affect your view of work. And here's the takeaway. All of life is to be lived for Jesus. Nothing is outside the scope of the gospel. Here's what we need to pretend. We need to have these imaginary glasses that we put on, and we call them gospel glasses, and everything we see is filtered through those glasses. All of life is to be lived for Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus, it says there, is the primary governing fact of life. Being a Christian means radical, radically Lord-centered living. So, your handout there, and I think I may have made a typo. It depends on how you want to read that. It should be do your work as unto Jesus, not do you work. Or maybe that's a good question you could ask yourself. Do you do your work unto Jesus? But it should be your. Do your work as unto Jesus. Jesus, Verses 5 through 8. Notice the focus that is on Jesus in this passage. Verse 5, As you would 
Christ. Verse 6, as bondservants of Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. Verse 8, receive back from the Lord. Paul is telling the slave to see Jesus as your ultimate master. Christian worker, as I've already said, Jesus is your ultimate boss. So work for Him. It will make a difference in how you approach your job. Verse 5 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. First thing I want to point out here, I think, is that as, a, as an employee, and I think by now you're understanding, he is talking to slaves and masters during a period of time in history when that's what was going on. I think we can make an application here to us as in employees and employers in our current time. So I think the first thing we want to look at here is to be respectful employees. Christian worker, you are to glorify Jesus by being a respectful employee. You are to obey. You see that word? Slaves, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Now I realize that word causes us problems, right? We can hear the word obey, and our natural, man, I see, I saw somebody's eyes. Yeah, you hear that word, and you're kind of like, I'm my own man. I, I, don't, I don't answer to nobody. That's the first kind of thought we have. That causes us problems. We like, now, we like the idea, we back up into chapter 5 of wives submitting to husbands, right? We don't have a problem with that. We don't have a problem. Children obey your parents. We're like, preach, preacher. But when we get to this, it's kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. In every aspect of human life, Jesus is to be our focus. Every aspect of human life, God's plan, listen, here's where we have a problem. God's plan for all of human life is one of authority and submission. Someone has to lead and others are to follow. That's the way God set it up. There is no other option. The word obey here is in the present tense, meaning uninterrupted obedience. Not if you feel like it, not just on Friday or every other Friday or once a month when you know you're going to get your check that day, do you obey? But it's all the time. There are times when a Christian employee must refuse to obey. It says to obey, but there are times when you must not obey. And I say that because of the words I see there, earthly masters. Some of you have translations that read according to the flesh. In other words, it doesn't apply to spiritual or moral matters. If you're asked to do something immoral, criminal, or unethical, you should tactfully and respectfully refuse to do that. You obey, but there are situations, because it uses the word earthly masters, in which there are moral and spiritual implications here which you cannot obey. Uh, Debbie's brother-in-law, which you're going, is he not your brother-in-law? Let me explain. It's her brother-in-law. He's married to her sister. And several years ago, he worked for a company, had a a fairly prominent job within that company, a local company, a family-owned company. And the owner of that company was sort of known for being, oh, how can I be nice? Not on up and up, Okay. And so, Debbie's brother-in-law was approached to do something in the department in which he was over that, and it was something that was not on the up and up. 
And I have a great deal of respect for him because he refused to obey his employer. That was a situation in which, in the end, he lost his job. But he kept his integrity. He, he, he obeyed Jesus. Jesus was his boss. But there are situations when we must not obey, but we are to be respectful. It doesn't apply to spiritual and moral matters. Your normal manner of response should be to obey your boss. But notice what Paul says there. We're to obey with fear and trembling. The idea is not of you know, you know, not cringing in fear, but instead it refers to honor and respect. It probably carries the same idea of chapter 5, verse 21. If you look back there, it says, out of reverence or fear for Christ. In other words, Christian employees are to work seriously and reverently because you are working as unto Jesus. There's a respect to obey. You, you do that with fear and trembling. You're doing this out of reverence and respect for Jesus when you obey your employers or your bosses or your supervisors. Notice the latter part of verse, or the next part of verse 5 down through verse 6. It says, Obey, then it says, With a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Not only to work respectfully, but we're to work wholeheartedly. Christian employee, you are to glorify Jesus by working wholeheartedly. Notice the emphasis there on the heart. The Christian's approach to work shows itself in a sincere effort. Christian, you're to be sincere and committed to your work. Work from the heart. Not just going through the motions, treading water, doing the bare minimum. We're to give ourselves to the task that God has set before us with sincerity. And you're going, preacher, you still have lost your mind. But look at what it says next. Notice the words, as you would Christ. You're to obey with a sincere heart, with fear and trembling, as you would be doing this to Jesus. That's who you're working for. Notice verse 6, it says, not by the way of eye service as men pleasers. You notice that, do this. Here's how you do it. You don't do it this way. Verse 6, I think, tells us to work with reliability. Here's the question for you, Christian. Do you only work hard when you're under the eye of the boss? Are you the same when no one's looking as when everyone's looking? Are you consistent? Are you reliable on your job? Remember, you're professing Jesus and you're working in the public in a job. In other words... You don't just work hard when your boss is looking in order to get his approval and then slack off when he's not around. Some of you work jobs and you know people like that, right? They, when the boss is around, man, they're go-getter. Everything's going. And when he's gone, they kind of have a tendency to go back. Is that you, Christian? A people or a man-pleaser worries about what people think, but he's not concerned with what God thinks. He tries to make a good impression so that he can get a maybe a raise or a promotion but his heart's not in the work. That's not working as unto the Lord. That's working for your own personal gain and not being concerned about pleasing your boss as a testimony for Jesus. You're working for Jesus when you're on that job. See, everything's about the gospel. And I'm going I'm to show that to you here in a few minutes. Verse 7 says, Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. It says, rendering service with goodwill. This refers to your attitude. That's what goodwill is talking about. It refers to your attitude in your work. It has the idea of being eager or dedicated, wholehearted, having a zeal. 
you're going, but we're talking about work. Don't miss this word here. Look carefully. Rendering, what's the next word? Service. You are serving on your job. Serving means doing something for the benefit of others, right? When you serve, you do something for who? Someone else. So you are to approach your work with zeal and devotion to serve those who are over you and for others who may benefit from your work. Every work job we do, there's always someone who benefits from what we're doing, right? You are serving someone in every job, occupation, whether it's paid or unpaid. You are serving someone else, but your goal in serving them is to what? Put Jesus on display as unto the Lord. Notice your motivation for such an attitude. Rendering service with a good heart, excuse me, with goodwill as to the Lord and not men. You are serving Jesus and not simply human beings on your job. Why should you put your heart and soul into your work? Look at verse 6. I skipped this, not intentionally. Why should you put your heart and soul into your work? Look at verse 6. Because it's what? It's God's will that you do that. Now let me ask you a question. I know this is true of everyone who, who professes to be a Christian. How many of you want to know the will of God? You know what that means? We, all, we want to know those secret things, right? And, and, and rightly so. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us the secret things belong to the Lord. The things that you do know, do them. What is God's will for us here? Work with dedication and devotion on our job because we're working for who? Jesus. That is God's will. Your ultimate work is for Jesus. You work for Him. Verse 8. Knowing... I love verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Verse 8 tells Christian that the ultimate reward is coming. Verse 8 helps us to see that, I don't know if these are words or not, the temporariness and the short-termness of our situation. The world's focus is on the here and now, right? That's what the world focuses on. Because if they don't know Jesus, this is all they got, right? And you and I sometimes as Christians live like this is all there is. Don't we? This is all there is. But God's focus is on rewards in eternity. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all... What does all mean, church? All. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You'll stand before the judgment seat one day not to determine whether you're a believer or not because you wouldn't be there if you were not. But you're going to stand before God one day in order to receive what is due to you for what you've done where? In the body. Can I tell you something? This life counts. Whether you believe it or not, it counts. This tells you, Christian, that you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and be rewarded based on your present earthly faithfulness and how you lived for Jesus, even on your job. 
This should change the way we work, should it not? Not just work, but all of life. How you live now, listen to me, how you live now affects your future reward. I don't know about you, but that makes me think, right? Now listen, don't, don't leave here misunderstanding this. I think that's a, it's in the Bible, and that's good. We work, we labor, because we know one day we'll get a reward there and not here. But the Bible also tells us that we'll lay our crowns where? At the feet of Jesus. We will give back to Him any good that we've ever done and any war we receive because it's all to the glory of God. Right? How we live in this life affects us. Our reward is not going to come here. It will come in eternity. Let me share a story with you I read this week. A, a, uh, an old uh, missionary couple, and I know that word old, I don't mean that in a bad way. They... They were advanced in years, okay? Uh, had spent their lives working in Africa, and they were coming back to New York City to retire. Uh, they had no pension, their health was broken, and they were discouraged and afraid. They'd spent their whole life in Africa, and now they're coming back to the United States. When they went to board the ship to come back to America, and you can tell how old the story is, right? They were getting on a what to come back? Not a 747, but a ship. They come back, and they discovered they were on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from a big game hunt. When they boarded the ship, no one paid attention to them. But there was a band playing and people waving and trying to get a glimpse of President Roosevelt. The husband said to his wife, something's wrong here. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God in Africa all these years and yet no one cares about us? That sounds like us, does it? Here this man comes back from a big game hunt and everybody makes a big deal over him. Can't you just hear it? Yeah, you're there. That's you. You're saying the same thing. His wife said, honey, you don't need to be bitter. Wife's always speaking truth in our life and you know, giving us wisdom. But the husband, he, he just couldn't help himself. He said, there's, there's something wrong here. This is just not right. So when the ship got to America, guess what was waiting? A band. The mayor of New York City and all these national leaders were there to what? President Roosevelt. The papers carried the story on the front pages, but no one noticed the missionaries. That night in a cheap, run-down hotel room, the man was just kind of distraught. He was, his spirit was broken and he felt that God had abandoned him. And he kept saying, it's just not fair. And his wife says, I think you need to spend some time with God praying about this. Again, the wives, they have the rationale. They, the, lot, the husband, here's what you need to do. Spend some time praying. So the husband leaves the room, stays gone for several minutes, and he comes back. And he's a different man. You can tell his disposition and his countenance. There's something has happened. And his wife asks him, what happened? The husband said, well, I told the Lord the whole thing. I told him, it's not fair, God. I told him how I was bitter because the president received a great homecoming and there was not one single person to meet us when we returned home. And after I finished, it was as if the Lord said, but you're not home yet. You see that? You're not home yet. When you get home, that's when you get your reward. Let me ask you this. 
I know this is true because I've been there. Do you have a boring job? Maybe it's even oppressive. Do you look on each day with dread thinking, what a hassle as you grind through your work? Paul says, get the eternal perspective. Put your focus on heaven. Even if your earthly boss doesn't reward you, your heavenly Father will one day. Now, I want to clarify here. This doesn't mean that you should not look for a better job or try to better yourself. But it does mean that your relationship with Jesus should put your focus primarily on heaven and not on this earth. So you're saying, how how do you keep going in the job when your boss ignores you or even criticizes you? Paul's answer here, I think, is to stop thinking about your boss as your main focus and start working for the Lord. You're thinking, is it it that simple? Look through the boss to the sovereign Lord who put you in that job and think about the reward that you will receive one day. That's what Paul's telling us. How do you work Christianly when work is hard, dull, boring, and mundane, and monotonous? Some of you are going, you've been to my job. You've been where I work. Some of you have jobs that require exactly that, right? Day in, day out, over and over. There's no hi-ho, hi-ho for you. How do you work in that type of environment? Paul says when you work first for Jesus, you'll find yourself working with sincerity consistency for the glory of God. In other words, being a Christian means radically Lord-centered living, and that includes your work. Stop and think about it. Would that not make a difference in how you approached your job if we applied these principles? Now, I want to be careful here. I I don't want to preach just go to work, do your job, work for Jesus, and us leave without hearing another reason for why we do this. We always have an ultimate example of everything that God calls us to do in His Word. And who is that example? It's the Sunday school answer. Go ahead. Jesus. Was this not the attitude of Jesus? What are we talking about in Sunday school this morning? Jesus had a mission, right, when He came? Was this not the attitude of Jesus? In John chapter 17, verse 4, on the night when Jesus knew He was going to be betrayed, Jesus knows that suffering awaits Him at the cross, and He prays to God, and here's what He says. Listen to this, John 17, 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work... You gave me to do. What did Jesus say? I glorified you. I have finished the what? The work that who gave him? God the Father had given him. Jesus was committed to the work that he had been given. And that meant the cross. It meant him feeling forsaken by God when he bore our sins on the cross. It meant death, condemnation. It meant wrath and the curse of God in our place. How many of you have a job like that you go to every day? Was there ever a work so hard, so dark, so painful as this? Was there ever a job like the work of the cross? Consider this. 
the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of glory, was made to bear the humiliation and shame of crucifixion, a penalty of death that reserved for criminals. That's what your Lord did for you. That was the work that God gave Him to do. And what did Jesus say He had done? He finished that work in order to glorify God. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Here's Jesus' work. He emptied Himself and took the form of a... What's the next word? Slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming what? What's the next word? Read it with me, church. Obedient. To the point of death, even death on a cross. Maybe your job isn't so bad after all. What job is too demeaning, too mundane, that you can't pour yourself out for Jesus since He poured Himself out for you and didn't hold anything back when He did? That's the message. The better we grasp the fact that Jesus' cross work became our redemption, the more our daily work will become a devotion and a worship toward God. Alright, quickly. Verse 9. The duty of Christian employer or bosses... Those of you who, who, who work and have a boss or an employer, you're going, all right, it's about time we got here. In Paul's context, he now gives, uh, he's talking to masters, he's giving them direction on how they're to treat their servants. For us today, we can apply this to employers, bosses, supervisors, whatever you, word you use, of every sort. Now, if you're like me, when, when I first read this, this is kind of one-sided. They get one verse, and the workers got verses 5 through 8. There's a reason for that. Notice there in verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that He who is both their Master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with Him. Here's what he's saying. The same principles apply to masters as well. Do you see that in verse 9? Do the same to them. That's what he says to masters. You do the same to them. What same things? The same things employers are to give to their employer. Respect, sincerity, and faithfulness. You, supervisor, you, employer, are to do the same to them as that God requires of them doing to you. The same attitude, the same motivation should drive employers as well as employees, subordinates as well as supervisors. You do it for Jesus. That's what you're doing. In other words, Christian employer or boss, you should treat your employees as they would want to be treated if you were their employee. He should be fair, reasonable, and he should be understanding. They should also have the same motivation and goal as the worker. And that is a desire to obey and please the Lord with the same regard to the will of God. Notice there how they should use their authority as to the Lord. If you own a business as a Christian, if you're someone in a position of authority in a workplace, you carry out your authority as 
lives unto the Lord. That's why we see the next word, stop your threatening. Paul is saying that an employer or a, a boss can't give a proper warning. He can't expect people to uh, not be lazy in work. But rather he means that he's to treat him with respect and not demeaning him or threatening him with punishment. Look at verse 9 again. It says, Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Christian employer, boss, supervisor realizes that their authority is strictly functional and it's temporary. They know that they and their workers alike are under the same authority. Their master and their and the employee's master is where? In heaven. Christian employer, boss, you are a fellow servant along with your worker and you are accountable to the same God that they are accountable to. Notice there, the Christian employer, the boss, also knows that there is no partiality with him. Christian boss or employer before the Lord, you are no more important or worthy than the employee that works for you. God has no favorites. This command here is to be how you treat all those who work underneath you. All those who work for you. Especially those who are lost. Christian employer, boss, supervisor, you are Jesus to that lost person. You are Jesus to that unsaved worker. Now here's my question for you. What are they seeing? They know you come to church on Sunday. They know you profess to be a Christian. But what do they see when you're exercising your authority? Do you treat people with respect and dignity? Do you treat them the way Jesus has treated you? Do you show mercy and compassion? Do you treat them as image bearers of God, which they are? Regardless of skin color, race, social status, they are image bearers of God. And there's an exhortation, there's a command here that those who are employers, those who are bosses, those who are in positions of authority who profess Christ... We need to be careful how we treat people who are under our authority. It's a gospel motivation. We're working as unto Jesus. So let me conclude by saying this. When you get up tomorrow, and you don't feel like singing, hi-ho, hi-ho, off the work I go. You need to tell yourself, Jesus is the goal of my work today. This passage to change the way you work. Work isn't just for you. It's a way for you to serve Jesus. Really? Y'all heard me tell you this. Do you realize if you're a Christian you go to work tomorrow, your boss is paying you to be a missionary? He's giving you an hourly wage or a salary. If you're in a job, that's, he's paying for your health care and putting money in your 401k. Good Lord, what better missionary position could you be in than your boss is paying you to do that and he doesn't even realize it? Here's some last things I want to say to you. Christian worker, you have the living God inside of you. Right? God lives within you. Do your work through Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you you ever pray before you go to work? You're like, on the way there... 
I pray every, every minute. Do you pray for the Spirit to fill you, for God to use you that day? Do you ask God to help you live on mission at work? Do you ever ask God, God, I'm going to work today, and you know the day I had yesterday, and it's probably going to be worse today, but God, fill me with your Spirit, help me to live on mission on this job today. I realized in my secular work environment, when I worked in hard, difficult jobs as a Christian, when things were really not so good, and that's putting it lightly, do you realize that, or you, you don't realize, but I come to realize that when I was in those situations of hard, difficult work, God gave me more opportunities to share the gospel with people than He did in other situations. Ask God to help you live on mission. Work like Jesus. Stop and think about that. Jesus knew when He came. He knew when He was born in this world. He knew where He was headed, right? He was headed to the cross. He was here to work for God. He knew what His work was going to end in. He worked for the Father. That's who we work for. Work for Jesus. Do your best. Work as if you're doing it for Jesus. Tell yourself in the morning on the way to work, I'm working for Jesus today. I'm going to work for Jesus today. <laughs> Ask yourself this. This, will, this is good. This will get you. How would you work if Jesus were your boss? What if you showed up to work tomorrow and they said, Hey, you got a new boss today. It's Jesus Christ. You're going to be working for Him. Man, you'd work differently, wouldn't you? Well, guess what? That's who you're working for tomorrow when you show up. So work for Him. Second, how would I, if I were the employer or the boss, how would I treat Jesus if He, as if, if he worked for me? How would I treat Him? If I showed up in my work tomorrow as the boss, as the employer, and Jesus walked in and says, Hey, I'm starting working for you today. You want to sell your business, probably, and give it to someone else. Is that how we think? Because when we go to work tomorrow, Jesus is our boss. And when we go tomorrow as an employer or a boss, think, if Jesus were working for me, how would I relate? How would I treat Him? Let's pray.